Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to That Said. I am Michael Zeldin. On today's show, we will speak with Brian Stelter, author of Hoax, Donald Trump, Fox News, and the Dangerous Distortion of Truth. This is part two of our interview covering the period from August 2020 through the present. Brian is the chief media correspondent for CNN Worldwide and anchor of CNN's Reliable Sources, which examines the week's top media stories every Sunday. Before joining CNN, Brian was a media reporter for the New York Times. Welcome to that said, Brian, nice to see you. Thank you. Great to be back with you. So, Brian, we left off our discussion of hoax, Donald Trump, Fox News, and the dangerous distortion of truth in about the August 2020 time period. And you noted at the time that America was going through a reckoning and it was unclear where the country's most watched cable network would come out of that reckoning. So prescient in that the period between August 2020 and now are among the most consequential periods, perhaps, in, <laughs> uh, in, our, in our lifetime. And I'd like to talk about some of the major themes of that. But one of the things I thought that we might start this discussion with is something you talk about in the book, uh, which is new out in paper and has 100 plus additional pages covering um, the period that we're going to talk about. So it's definitely worth buying again, even if you've bought the hardback and worth buying anew if you haven't bought it. (laughs) But in um, the, the new version of the book, you talk about the word hoax more than um, um, previously. And uh, I'd like if you would to talk about, hoax and what John um, McWhorter, the linguist that you quote, um, says about it, because it's important to understand why you picked that word for the, for the title of your book. Yeah, hoax is a nasty little word, and I'm glad that we can take a minute to unpack it, because it's different than the word fake. It's different than saying someone is wrong, even. Hoax contains an air of maliciousness, of intent. When someone's trying to hoax you, they're trying to hurt you. They're trying to hurt your family. And when Donald Trump used the word hoax over and over again, mostly about Russia, but, uh, but also about the Democrats' handling of the coronavirus, he was creating the sense of a conspiratorial plot. Like, they're out to get me, thus they're out to get you. They're trying to hurt you. When, of course, what was happening in February of 2020 was the Democrats were trying to raise alarms about coronavirus and get Trump to take it more seriously. And that's what he was upset about that the Democrats were, he said, trying to politicize the coronavirus, and he called it the new hoax. Their new hoax is what he said. So that's where the title of the book comes from. But hoax then in the paperback edition, in this new book that I really basically just rewrote the whole book because so much has happened in the last nine months, 
he kept saying the word hoax on the campaign trail in October, in November. Uh, the, the origins of the big lie are before Election Day, of course, and they are in his use of language, including the word hoax. He was talking about the ballot hoax. He was he was sowing all those seeds ahead of time. And again, I think that's different than just saying, um, you know, uh, um, we need to be careful about counting the votes or we need to make sure no one cheats. The word hoax carries this sense of evil almost like they're going to hurt you. And I think that tells us a lot about the state of the GOP and the Trump party that they view um, everything as a possible hoax. Yeah, you, you, you write and it's a tough sentence and I've never liked these comparisons, but but maybe it's apt here. You write the Fox attack machine was a modern day Lugan press. And maybe you could tell us what that is. That is the Nazi era term for lying press. It was a Nazi slur used in Germany to degrade and denigrate the press. And, um, and thank goodness uh, th- th- this moment in time is not comparable uh, to, to that period of time. However, the demonizing of the media, the, the shouting of, of hateful slurs toward the media uh, is a common everyday occurrence. And almost every journalist has their own uh, examples and experiences uh, with that. And I, as I, I do think when, when I see, um, I'm looking at my television that has Fox News on right now, when I see Sean Hannity every night lambast the media mob, when I see Fox almost every hour attack the rest of the media, there is a coordinated effort, a, a concerted effort to demonize and otherize and destroy the reputation of the modern American media. Um, thank goodness it's not lying press, but it's pretty damn bad. Yeah. And the thing that you point out in the book, which is so ironic, is in, in respect of Hannity and Carlson in particular and their attacks on the elites of the media and their lying um, messages. Maybe we can spend again one moment before we get to the substance of the issues is where do Hannity and, and Carlson broadcast from? Maybe you can <laughs> tell well, us there's I, I a bit of irony give, there, isn't there? Give up the game a little bit, you know, like to pull the curtain back a little bit, you know. Uh, Sean Hannity has broadcast from home for years in his beautiful $10 million mansion. Hucker Carlson has a couple different studios. He's got a studio in Maine near his, uh, near his uh, house on a lake, uh, literally on a lake. He has an island in the middle of the lake, and he takes a boat over to his studio. He also has a studio near his home in Florida on the on the show, on the uh, on the Gulf Coast. You know, the, these are guys operating, you know, at the pinnacle, the peak of their profession. They've got more in common with hedge fund owners than with the average viewer. Um, but they purport to be, you know, looking out for white Christian conservative America uh, that they'll, they'll never get onto that island in the middle of the lake. They'll never get never, never get down to that shore on the Gulf Coast with, with those multi-million dollar estates. So they're, you know, I, I think, and, and look, that's not unique to Fox. Um, I wrote a book about morning television and I grapple with the fact that morning television hosts are very well paid and, and can't relate really necessarily to the experiences of their viewers. But I think it's even more glaring on Fox, given that, um, that given what they purport to be, given how they portray themselves. Right, right. There aren't too many people that have, Carlson Island off the coast of Maine that you yeah I, and I'm sure it's wonderful and I guess if I could broadcast from you know uh, the forest maybe I would too but I'm happy here in Hudson Yards at CNN New York doing my thing right so let's let's turn to 
um, some of the major themes of uh, America in this um, nine-month period that the new book covers. And maybe the first one we can talk about is the Black Lives Matter, Matter Antifa um, yeah. protests um, yeah. and, and, and how Trump um, sort of referred to them as Black Lives Riots and how Fox Media um, port, portrayed this and, and the disingenuousness, perhaps, of their representation of what was going on, especially in Seattle and Portland. Well, I think this is good to go back in time. Think about it about a year ago. But a year ago, there were, uh, of course, many stories about the Black Lives Matter movement. We were seeing protests in the, in the streets. Um, Fox's, you know, so-called law and order programming felt out of step at this time. And, you know, it felt even more out of step later when they've ignored uh, the aftermath of the riot, which you can get to that later. But when you think about last June, last July, the story shifted from um, here's this uh, incredible generational civil rights movement uh, that was taking place all across the country. And then the story shifted in, in, in the Fox world to Portland and Seattle, examples of really far left, uh, some would say radical protesters who were setting up camp in Seattle, trying to set up camp in Portland. Um, what I saw was Fox trying to, you know, create this sense of, um, uh, of, of here, are the, here are the crazy liberal lunatics who are living in these lefty cities that are going to hell in a handbasket. And if you actually lived in Portland, Oregon, uh, you would know that what Fox was describing had no, no relation to what your city was actually like. In fact, the local paper wrote a great story about how all these locals in Portland were getting phone calls from their worried friends and family in other places saying, oh, my gosh, is Portland too dangerous to live? Are you having to move out? And, of course, they're saying, no, no, this is like this is happening in just a few blocks of the city downtown near the courthouse where I never go, you know, or in Seattle, that Chaz thing, that temporary occupation, you know, was six blocks of one neighborhood of many neighborhoods within a massive city of millions of people within the metro area. millions. Of so, you know, you have this sense on Fox sometimes that that the the extreme, the fringe, the the um, uh, that that's actually normal, that that's the average liberal. And it's such a it's such a um, it, it's such a distortion of what is true. It's such a distortion of what is really going on. I, I think columnist Paul Waldman said it really well for The Washington Post last year. He said, if you're a Republican, there is an entire cable network devoted to filling your evenings with terror. And, and some days that's terror about liberals in Portland setting fires. Another day it's terror about so-called Antifa. And I think why that mattered so much is that Trump was watching and the president was being misinformed by this stuff. So it wasn't just millions of voters, which that's troubling enough to have folks have a distorted view of the world. But when the president is getting these warped ideas in his head, that's why he goes out and gives really dark, scary, pessimistic speeches. That's why he threatens to send in you know, police into, into cities. Like he was well, I guess, Michael, in the words of one White House aide, he had Fox News brain. He was afflicted with Fox News brain, and, uh, and that was the result. Yeah, you, you said that you wrote that the watching of Fox News for the president distorted his sense of what was happening in the country. Right, right. That is why I think ultimately this entire story matters. I think ultimately when we look back at the Trump years, I think <clears throat> the conclusion is Fox actually hurt Trump. They, they claimed to help him. The host, the, the opinion host wanted to help him. The news side went incredibly easy on him. 
barely ever fact-checked him. They did everything in their power, theoretically, to help him and help his movement. But I really think they, they doomed him. They misled him. They filled his brain with nonsense, whether that's about the pandemic, whether that's about Black Lives Matter. Um, great example in the fall of 2020. He's talking to Laura Ingram about this slogan that he claims Black Lives Matter um, protesters say all the time. Um, what's what's the, what was that slogan? I can't remember it. It's so fringe. It pigs was in um, a blanket. Pigs in a blanket. Pigs in a blanket. That's right. Uh, fry them like bacon. This sick saying was said once in a local protest in 2015 in Minneapolis. It was filmed. It had no relation to the national movement. There's no evidence it was ever even said again. But on Fox, that stupid little bit of video was replayed so many hundreds of times that Trump, in his head, thinks it was new and thinks it was current and and, and thought it was um, a present-day threat. That is ultimately how Fox hurt Trump, by telling him a story about America that isn't a true story. Yeah, and I think you sum it up nicely. And before we move to the coronavirus, with in quoting his speech at Mount Rushmore on July 4th. So I don't, I don't know if you want to um, have me read your quote or, or you can. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know what page it is. So you read it. <laughs> okay. So you, you're, you're saying that on July 4th at Mount Rushmore, Trump said, our nation is witnessing a merciless campaign to wipe out our history, defame our heroes, erase our values, and indoctrinate our children. You, you write, this is what America looked like inside his fox cave. Uh, that, that quote astonishes me. Not my own words, the Trump quote. The Trump quote astonishes me a year later that that is the message. That's what he thought his fans wanted to hear. On the 4th of July, like on our Independence Day, this, this terrifying message about our kids being indoctrinated. But by the way, a year later, that is the narrative still on Fox cancel culture, critical race theory. It's about these threats to what they perceive as this white dominant America. And uh, and sadly, I think it is a cave of Trump's own making and a cave of the viewers making. Um, what we can do about that, what the rest of us can do about that, I, I don't know. I, I know the usual advice is have a balanced media diet, consume lots of sources, don't rely too much on Fox News. Uh, but I think that message usually falls on deaf ears um, among uh, Trump superfans. Yeah. So turning to the coronavirus, you write um, in 2020 and 2021, the Trump Fox feedback loop, which I think is exactly what it was, a feedback loop. The Fox Trump feedback loop had life and death consequences and there had to be a reckoning. So can you talk a little bit about that, uh, maybe starting with Dr. Mark Siegel on, on Hannity in, in, in March 20, in March, on March 6th, and what Fox was doing internally at the same time? He said it would be as bad as the flu, um, not, no worse than the flu. That was the, the message, and that was the general direction of the coverage more broadly, that this was a threat that was being overhyped. Don't worry too much. Uh, this will blow over. Certainly, there were some segments on Fox that were more responsible, that were more careful, that were more accurate. But there was a downplaying of the virus that happened on Fox's biggest shows. And I got to be honest, when I wrote the hardcover, I feel like I didn't I, I was still too close to it. I wrote down all those examples. 
but we were still in the teeth of the pandemic. We didn't have vaccines yet. It was it was tough to get a sense of just how damaging Fox's coverage was. Now, now that we can reflect a little bit, have a little bit of a sense of, of, of reflection with time, I think we can see that those pivotal weeks in February and March of 2020 could have gone differently. If we had actually shut down more quickly and more fully, we could have maybe st- tamped down this virus before it spread out of control. And there's a lot of blame to go around, and there's going to be entire libraries full of books about this, and there's a new, new ones out every week. But you got to look at the words on Fox as, as one of the influences because it influenced Trump. And, and every time it's about how it influences Trump. Um, you know, and and that that that's what there needs to be a reckoning about. I don't know if there ever will be one internally at Fox. I I don't get the sense that there will be. Uh, I, I talked to some sources who expressed regret uh, about about Fox's coverage of the virus, but there's never been a more thorough examination of how the network did did what it did or what it didn't do. So you know, I had for example a dissident Fox contributor say to me, "We denied the pandemic. Now we're denying the election outcome." Like there was some embarrassment that I picked up some embarrassment in some quarters about the coverage of the pandemic, but, but not, not in an institutional way and not in a way that management was, uh, was reviewing. Yeah. But the thing that I found shocking in your book is that you write that the Fox executives were telling you their audience did not want to hear about the coronavirus period. End of story. Yes. While at the same time, they were canceling big events for advertisers. They instituted deep cleanings, of their officers. They began to put in place a work from home plan. So they were protecting themselves privately, yet publicly, they were acting in a different way, which is. Yeah. And let me add a little bit of nuance to the the timeline, because it's absolutely true that by early March, they were taking precautions. They were canceling events. Um, Heck, I remember I was at a CNN ad sales event in early March. No, that's not true. I think it was late. Well, it might, it might have been late February. Anyway, I was at a CNN ad sales event as we were beginning to, to fret about the virus. At the same time, Fox was canceling theirs. I mean, Fox was taking precautions uh, internally while downplaying the pandemic on the air. Now, that said, in March, in April, of course, the network was covering uh, in depth uh, these stories, was, was covering the pandemic in depth. But by the summer, by the fall, it was clear the audience didn't want to hear it anymore, did not want to hear about it. That was very clear by the um, uh, by, by the summer and the fall, and I think Trump personified the network's disregard for the crisis. Um, his body language, his demeanor—you know—he was clearly over it. You know, of course, then he then he got the virus and tried to portray himself as a as a hero when he flew back to the White House, pumped up on all those drugs that most Americans could not get access to, um, and Fox portrayed him as the hero of that story. But but yeah, the the, the the overall, I think, effort was to say, this is not the biggest story in the country. This is not the biggest deal. We are, we are moving past it. We are getting back to life, even though the anchors were still anchoring mostly from home, even though the hosts were mostly still broadcasting remotely. It's only in the past few weeks that Fox shows are back in studio. Um, but they were telling other people to get back to work a year ago. Yeah, you, you're right. Um, that in July, uh, you ran the data and found that the word coronavirus was uttered on CNN twice as often as it was on Fox. Maybe that tells us 
All we need and, to know is and listen, people people could say that 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 CNN covered it too much. I would I would argue against that and say this is one of the biggest stories of our lives, and we're going to remember it for the rest of our lives. And it's permanently changed America in numerous ways, and it's permanently changed our lives. And 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 we've lost far too many people that in many ways could have been preventable. So if people want to argue that CNN covered it too much, that's great. But Fox clearly uh, downplayed the story. And in fact, you know, you know, those CNN graphics on the screen, on the right side of the screen that would have the, the case counts and the death counts. Fox stopped doing those, you know, probably mid 2020. Not only did Fox stop doing them, I started seeing right wingers mock CNN for still having those graphics. So th- there's that kind of upside downness to it all that I think is, is, is just sad partisan behavior um, that I, I don't know. I, I don't know how Sean or how Tucker or how Laura will feel in 10 years, but I wonder if they're going to look back with regret, with regret for not taking this more seriously. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Um, in summing up this segment, you, you, you wrote something which I found uh, fascinating. All right. I, I make notes to myself of all the story, all the little parts of your book that I find Thank fascinating, you. and I have a, 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 a legal pad full of of stuff. But you write, I can almost hear Roger Ailes, the sort of creator of Fox. I can almost hear Roger Ailes' voice echoing off the walls of the editorial meetings, telling his staff that nobody wanted to watch coverage of a war America was losing. Invent a war that we can win, and that's what Fox did. Yes, that is what I, I really believe happened. That is what um, the, that that is the advice Roger did give and would have given if he had been alive. Um, after Katrina, for example, he quickly pivoted the network. Um, remember Katrina, the questions about the Bush administration's mishandling, drowning deaths, unknown number of casualties in the week after the the, the, the hurricane and the flooding of, of New Orleans. And what did Nails do? He put up a, a new graphic that said, America's challenge. So it wasn't about Bush's failures. It wasn't about, um, you know, it, it was about America's challenge. It was a positive spin um, on, on a horrific negative story. And, I, you know, Ailes was very good at that. And I think that's what, that, a lot of that DNA is still in Fox. So they do invent wars they can win. Um, <laughs> I think all the cancel culture drama is an example of this now. Fox talks more about uh, the, these topics than other channels by a factor of 10. So, you know, they're, they're steadily hitting the drum on, on issues that they believe their base cares about, uh, but to the detriment of other news coverage. Yeah. So maybe we should tell our listening audience to buy your book and rent Wag the Dog. And they can watch Wag the Dog. <laughs> they, can, they can watch the two of right. them in tandem. Because there is a similarity there. We that movie is about an invented war to save a president from uh, embarrassment, and not dissimilar uh, <laughs> here. But one thing you say, Brian, which I want you to um, fill out a little bit, is you write that Murdoch wanted Trump to adopt a wartime president stand, right? Um, but the network essentially barely acknowledged. The war. Can you talk a little yeah, bit? That's, that's interesting there's a, to me. There's a, something dumbfounding about what Murdoch wanted versus what uh, was happening on his network. So Murdoch, as, as first reported by the Washington Post, um, Murdoch had a falling out with Trump in 2020. Murdoch 
was disappointed. He was angry that, that Trump didn't take his, here, let me read from the Washington Post. Trump's bruises could have been avoided if he had followed Murdoch's advice about how to weather the pandemic. So apparently Murdoch wanted Trump to take it more seriously and show more leadership, take on a wartime president stance, which, uh, yeah, I think a lot of Americans would have, would have appreciated seeing that um, if that had been possible for the former president. But, but my, my view is Murdoch's network wasn't in a wartime stance. Murdoch's network was not giving Trump this advice on the air. He was actually, they were often giving the opposite. They were focusing on, you know, right-wing controversy of the day instead of the pandemic. So why didn't Murdoch, if he was frustrated with Trump, why didn't he exercise his editorial control, not in a way to, to mislead the public, but actually to show leadership, to actually better inform the public? And now the answer I always get to that is that Murdoch gives his team a huge amount of autonomy. Uh, one person said he's afraid of messing with the, uh, with the primetime hosts, but he gives them tons and tons of autonomy. And, and that's something the TV hosts love to hear. Autonomy is a great thing, and I'm grateful to have autonomy uh, at CNN. But we're not talking about news autonomy here. We're talking about Fox propaganda and Fox misleading the public. And in those situations, autonomy is a very bad thing, a very dangerous thing. Uh, and yet, when it comes to the pandemic, when it comes to the big lie, Rupert Murdoch and his son Lachlan just did not seem to want to hold the reins, show leadership, um, give direction. And, and that really ultimately is why you see the network that you see on the air today, which is a collection of fiefdoms, no real leadership. Uh, obsession with right-wing culture war stories, um, a minimal amount of real news coverage. It's because of a lack of leadership from Rupert Murdoch. Mm. So let's pivot to the to the to the campaign, and um, and 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 the election of Biden. Um, you, you write, and I, I've coined this word in in my mind because I don't know how to describe Hannity and and company. I call them opinionists. They're not not journalists. Right. Right. Um, They're opinionists. They just give their opinion. You write that throughout the campaign. uh, I'll call them the opinionists, that collection. The opinionists tried out different anti-Biden talking points and labels they could stick to him. Uh, Hannity saying America would be unrecognizable if, if Trump lost. So you write though, the problem was, that an elderly white male candidate, Biden, wasn't as appealing a villain as Barack Obama or Hillary Clinton. Yeah, I think that's still true today. Um, there is a, a tax against Biden don't stick. Doesn't feel like Fox even sometimes tries. <laughs> Although Sean Hannity has this weird thing he does where he holds up a sippy cup and claims that the president is so old and maybe senile that he needs a sippy cup. But no one seems to believe that, right? So instead, they attack Kamala Harris, and they rant about critical race theory, and they attack AOC and Ilhan Omar, and they complain about culture war issues. So there's really an attempt to, to move on to other stories um, instead of Biden. I mean, look, when, when, when you're Sean Hannity and you're on the air saying, America will be unrecognizable if Biden wins, and then, of course, like we're five months into the Biden era and America's just fine, you would think eventually people would call him out on it or 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 know or know that he's full of it or maybe not trust him so much but i i see few, i see little evidence of that <laughs> i mean here's another example 
December of 2020, Jesse Waters is on Fox talking about the Senate runoff in Georgia. And we now know the result was Democrats won and, and Democrats have control of the Senate. Barely, but they have it. So here's what Waters was saying on Fox. He was saying, life as we know it hangs in the balance. If the Democrats take these seats and they control the Senate, it'll be bye-bye America. Uh, you know, he said, with Democrats in control, we're probably not even going to have a national anthem. And it's like, this stuff is so crazy over the top that, you know, I, 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 fear, I, I fear that it makes it so much harder for us to talk to one another. If you're, being, if you're a Fox fan and you're being told that bye-bye America, bye-bye America, no more national anthem, like that shit sinks in and it makes it so much harder to relate to one another. Yeah. And yet, you know, Waters, you know, wins because of it. Waters benefits. Waters, Waters goes on and gets higher ratings and, and, and does his thing. But it's bad for the rest of us. Yeah, which is to go back to the Paul Waldman quote, which is, if you're a Republican, there's an entire cable network devoted to filling your evenings with terror. And it seems, Brian, that this terrorizing of their viewers to um, worry that life as we know it is is soon to vanish unless we follow their orthodoxy is it is exactly to the point you're making you can't have a conversation with somebody um, whose belief system is informed that way yes and it's also part of the broader um, I, I try to hit on a hoax but it's bigger than hoax and it's bigger than, than me or you it's this it's this um, this shift in America from white dominance to a much more multicultural, uh, uh, diverse country where there's no one group of folks that are in charge, but it's a true shared power, true democracy, a true multiracial country. And that, all those trend lines, and we all know we're moving in that direction and we can all feel it. And as Biden likes to say, look at the TV commercials and look at all the multiracial couples on TV commercials. We all see it coming. And, and to what many Americans perceive as progress, I think the Fox base perceives that as loss, perceives that as a loss. They, 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 they want to slow it down or stop it they, they, however they can. And, and, you know, Biden's not a, a great vessel. Uh, you know, Biden, of course, an old white guy it, it might be a comforting moment, but they see Kamala as a threat. They see Ilhan Omar as a threat. They fear that's bigger than Fox, right? That's something that's happening within the GOP. Uh, a, a essentially a white party, um, and it's hard to talk about. If we're being really honest, uh, I don't see a lot of really strong discussions on television news about the the racial and ethnic shifts in the country, the cultural changes in the country, and how Republican voters are reacting to those. And the as Van Jones says, what is the white lash, and and how is the white lash affecting politics? But that I think is the big story, and Trump is a part of that story. And uh, I think the programming on Fox reflects that story. Yeah. Um, Isabel Wilkinson, in her book, Cast, talks about the caste system in America and that the multiculturalism, the fact that, I forget what it is, by 2042, we will not be a majority white country. <clears throat> and that loss of status in the caste system is terrifying to to that portion of the country that's going to lose its status in the, in and, the it's, and it's never and it's never talked about that way on fox so it's not like there are segments where people where guests <laughs> say i am terrified about this change like you'll never hear a guest on fox explicitly say i am really uncomfortable with how my neighborhood is changing like you don't hear that 
what you hear instead are um, bitchy segments about cancel culture, about, you know, you, you hear bitchy segments about um, critical race theory. Don't talk about race is really the subtext of, of Fox's conversations about race. So they, they, I thought like they're talking around the issue. They're not, they're not really taking it on head on. But they are emblematic of this change or of this yeah. um, resistance to change. Yeah. Yeah. And we saw that a bit in the campaign with Trump talking to what he thought were suburban white households about if he's not president any longer, suburbia as they know it right. will no longer be suburbia. Right, 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 right. Right. The, the, <laughs> far beyond dog whistles uh, during the campaign. It's it's incredible. I actually there's so much I've already forgotten about Trump's campaign, and you know some some of the some of the just the reckless and shocking things that happened. When I went back for hoax and I I went back and rewatched some of October 2020 and some of the quotes and some of the rallies, when it comes flooding back to you, you almost think like did that? Did, I can't believe this really happened. I can't believe all this really happened. Yeah. Um, but we need to write it down for history. We need to record it. Yep, we do. So I want to talk a little bit about the election, um, because there was one part of the book that I found very interesting, which I didn't remember. I thought I remembered everything, but I didn't remember a lot. And that's what the book was so instructive for me in reminding me that I didn't remember a lot. Tell me (laughs) who Arnon Mishkin is and um, election night and Arizona and the fallout um, from that, because I found that that little story uh, to be really interesting. Uh, so Michigan it was the head of the Fox News Decision Desk in 2016 and in 2020. Uh, say, say what the Decision Desk is, please. The Decision Desk uh, takes in all of the exit poll data, all of the raw vote totals, and projects the outcome of elections. And, you know, they, they almost always get it right at CNN and Fox and NBC and all the networks. And uh, and they almost all they were ninety nine plus percent right. They they know how high stakes it is. They know how important it is to get this right. So they hire people like Arna Mishkin. Mishkin's run the decision desk with a you know um, with with an excellent uh, reputation. People at CNN, people at NBC say you know we got our issues with Fox, but Arna Mishkin's the real deal. He's careful. He knows what he's doing. So when on election night, Mishkin's team calls Arizona for Biden. It is like a nuclear reactor meltdown for Fox News and for Trump and for the Republican Party, because Fox is the first network calling Arizona for Biden. Uh, Others see it's trending that way, but Fox is the first to say it. And it sharply narrows Trump's path to victory. You know, it wasn't like this meant Trump couldn't win, but it it made it a lot more likely that he was going to go down. The reaction on Fox, first of all, Fox rolling out the news was terrible. They botched it. So people didn't know whether it was true or not. They didn't know whether to believe it. And then you have people on Fox's air disputing the decision desk call. You know, that's like if I tell you the sky is blue and I know it and I've proven it and I've checked it and I've checked it twice. And then you got all these people on the air saying, well, I think it might be red. I really want this guy to be orange. I hope this guy turns green. There's all these people that are sowing doubt, undermining what the facts are, which, of course, is emblematic of what Fox and Trump did for four years. But I digress. I think the Arizona call is that symbol of uh, of Trump and the GOP not wanting to accept the truth, not wanting to be reality based. And of course, then what, what, what happens? Four hours later, Trump gives comes out. Sorry, three hours later, Trump comes out, claims he won, claims he's a winner, 
and we go downhill from there with the big lie. But it really is Arizona that causes Trump fans to freak out and flee Fox News. Not all of them, of course, most viewers stayed tuned to Fox, but uh, you had a real sliver of the Trump super fans that went over to Newsmax and went over to One America News and stopped trusting Fox and started claiming the network was liberal, <laughs> which is hilarious to me, but that's what they said. And, and all of that kind of devolution, that breakdown, uh, it's, what, it's what you get when you deny the truth for four years and you call real news fake. You get to the point where even Fox News tells you that Biden won Arizona, which he did, and um, the base didn't want to believe it. Yeah, you, you said, though, in the aftermath of Fox, and I don't think CNN and NBC um, called Arizona for a, another week. Another um, week. That's right. That's right. That's right. So, in fact, and look, there were there were legitimate questions about whether Fox called it too soon. Uh, Michigan didn't think so. But but that was a, that was an issue. Uh, the other networks waited for a lot more data to come in before calling it. And ultimately, it was Pennsylvania that was the magic state that, that put Biden over the edge. But even that Saturday morning when that happened, and everybody remembers where they were probably in the 10 a.m. hour when when uh, when Biden was named president-elect and when celebrations broke out in major cities. Fox was 15 minutes late on that news, which in television is an eternity. Like, that's humiliating for Fox News. Every network knew Pennsylvania data was about to come in. Every network knew that there was going to be another um, dump of votes that was going to come across, and it was probably going to give Biden enough of a lead that Trump couldn't win. And so everybody knew to be ready. Wolf Blitzer woke up at like 6 a.m. Like at CNN, we, like they had this, the whole team on the air all morning just waiting for that data from Pennsylvania. And the other networks too, NBC and ABC and CBS, they all broke in within like two minutes. And Fox is sitting there like looking around, just like acting like it's a normal day, acting like nothing's going on. It was humiliating, but it just goes to show and I, I don't say this with glee, I say this with sadness, that the news operation at Fox has been so weakened, so decimated, so so suffocated by the opinionistas, the opinion, the opinionists, uh, that they don't have much standing or, or, or power. And so that's why they end up being late on like one of the biggest mornings of the year. And again, I think even things like that contribute to the big lie because Fox is, well, well, so I, I see that all the other networks are saying Biden's the winner, but Fox isn't telling me that yet. And then when Fox does finally say it, that causes even more viewers to flee to Newsmax, where Biden isn't being called the winner yet. So there's that sort of shit going on. And I, I think it's just at the end of the day, you get to this place where Republican voters don't know what to believe, definitely don't want to believe that Trump won and uh, that, that, that Biden won, that Trump lost. And they have the option to turn on channels where he didn't. Right. You 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 say of this that um, in the aftermath of Arizona, that Fox began to be tested like never before. Up until then, they had a monopoly. Yes. Right until November 7th, when Biden was named president-elect. Um, Newsmax was this tiny little ant and its ratings exploded on after November 7th. In one case, they, they went 10 times as high as they were a week earlier. I've never seen anything like it in television. And it was simply because there was a portion of the Fox base, the Trump Fox base that didn't want to hear Biden won. And on Newsmax, they were willing to indulge that fantasy 
Uh, now, since then, it's come back down. The, the, the reality has kind of come back to the norm, which is Fox has come back up in the numbers, Newsmax has come back down. There's a new kind of normal, a new level. But Newsmax is now a player, and One American News is now a player. And those, those channels, especially One American News, are even more conspiratorial than Fox. So now, instead of Fox having a monopoly, they are the dominant player, but with comp- competition. And that competition causes them to run further to the right. And that's really one of the themes in hoax is, what does Fox do when the audience is pissed about Biden, when Newsmax is a threat to their marketplace? They run further to the right. That's where the GOP is running. That's you know why Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates are in the news all the time. It's this move away from a shared reality that um, unfortunately the election accelerated, I think. Yeah, you, you quote um, Jeff Greenfield's line, which was that um, Fox is losing viewers to Newsmax and one OAN, um, One American Network, for the same reasons Playboy lost readers to Penthouse and Hustler. I think that said it so well. Um, and, you know, I don't want to extend that analogy in my own words, but Fox's programming has changed quite a bit since the election. Um, and I have commentators in the book, I quote sources in the book saying they can feel it too. They notice it on the air, just like I do. Uh, the network is doing even fewer things that, well, so let me put it this way. Picture a Venn diagram. And on one side is uh, CNN and the New York Times and the AP and Reuters and NBC and all the rest. And then the other side is Fox. And there used to be a lot of space in the middle where Fox was covering the same stories as all the rest. They might cover them with a more conservative bent, with more of an edge, but they were at least covering the same stories. Now, however, there's fewer and fewer of that space in the middle. Fox covers lots and lots of stories that you'll never hear about from the New York Times or NBC. Because, I mean, they're mostly, uh, they're not made up, but they're, they're, they're relatively meaningless. They're relatively minor. Um, just now, while we were talking, there was a segment on Fox about uh, Tom Hanks, uh, cancel culture coming for Tom Hanks. And, oh, no, Tom Hanks might be canceled. And really what they were talking about was one NPR writer's opinion piece that said Tom Hanks should do more to be anti-racist. So they were arguing about an opinion piece on npr.org like cnn makes mistakes no doubt and i make mistakes on my show but i wouldn't spend time on my hour cnn talking about a an opinion piece about tom hanks like it's just these are stories that are minor they it's like a version of covering like a car accident on local news it's it's meaningless to the audience but that's what they spend more and more time doing because that's what they think their audience wants so in that way i think sadly it's to go back to the Venn diagram, it's like these two bubbles um, floating away from each other, separating um, with, with less and less in common right now. You write that um, in, in the aftermath of, of the election and, and uh, the big lie, um, you write that um, Fox wrongly prepared the viewers for what was going on. Um, and now uh, it was falling apart and nobody knew what to do. Rather than help Trump fans process their losing feelings, hosts like Hannity stoked their rage in explicit collaboration with Trump and his party. Yeah, I think, I think that's very telling. Maybe you can flesh it out a bit. And, and speaking of NPR, there's an example involving NPR. NPR <clears throat> made a memo from inside the RNC 
about Ron and McDaniel's appearance on Hannity. And it had all the details of what was going to happen on the show. You know, the opening segment, the guests, the articles, the subjects, all of Hannity's talking points. I say in hoax, it was scripted like World Wrestling Entertainment, but with American democracy at stake. Hannity stoked the rage of the, of, of the audience rather than trying to lower the temperature, rather than trying to find a, a constructive pathway forward. And that's, again, a really important dividing line in media these days. There are people and outlets and shows that are constructive, that are trying to be constructive, that are trying to help. And then there are shows and people and personalities that are destructive, that are just trying to destroy. And I, I think it's pretty easy to know what side of the line Tucker Carlson is on when he stokes conspiracy theories and talks constantly every day about us versus them and how they are out to get you as if, you know, there's a marionette pulling the strings. Um, what people need when they are disappointed, when they are let down, when they are surprised, when they are anxious, what people need is the truth. Tell people the truth. And uh, that should be easy. Um, but it's, it's, it's hard for these opinion hosts to do it when they know that their ratings fix and their fuel comes from uh, misleading and distorting and um, fueling that rage. Right. Gosh, it sounds so sad to say that out loud, but it's true. Yeah. Well, and you write that the, 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 the creation of the big lie was orchestrated from the early, earliest start of this campaign, meaning that everyone knew in your WWE analogy that when the rural vote started coming in in these swing states, Trump was going to announce that he had won knowing full well that the urban vote still had to be counted and could be dispositive of the outcome. But they planned ahead of time to, to announce the victory on the af- aftermath of the rural vote, which was right. going to be largely Republican, and that anything that changed that narrative fell into what Hannity, you quote Hannity as saying, as Americans will never be able to believe in the integrity or legitimacy of these results because they've set it up that they've declared victory. They show the early numbers. They say those numbers are determinative and that anything that deviates from that mantra, if you will, that orthodoxy is not to be believed. And you really, you come out of this thinking we just, we need a lot more news, real news reporting and less of this fantastical fantasy dreaming about what the news should be kind of kind of coverage on television. Because that's really, that's what the Hannity type guys are doing. They're not covering the news. They are, they are, they're wishful thinking. They are expressing what they want to be, have the news be, what they wish was the news. And, and, and that's, you know, maybe that's good television. But it's it's has nothing to do with journalism, and it ends up really actually hurting the audience that they purport to want to help. Um, when you uh, engage in wishful thinking and fantasy every day, and and your audience really wants to believe whether they they want to believe the coronavirus is not a big deal, or they want to believe that Biden didn't really win, um, you are hurting the people you're trying to help. Yeah, I mean, their view is very dystopian. It's really not fantasy in a, we're going to all go yeah, to Shangri-La, right? right, right. right. 
we're going to hell in a handbasket. Yeah, no, this is not a utopia. This is this is a nightmare, not a fantasy. It's a nightmare. And and once in a while, I would hear that from Fox sources. I had a source early in the morning of January seventh, um, after the insurrection, text me and say, "What have we done? What have we done?" And you know, and I and I understand what that person meant. They meant what what did Fox do to contribute to this world where people would attack police and try to try to break into the Senate and try to hurt people and try to steal the election. Like what have we done to cause this in the country? And obviously you can't put all the blame on a single show or channel or network or company. There's a lot of blame to go around for the insurrection, but I I thought it was important that there was some introspection. At least, you know, some people were asking themselves like, did we help contribute to this? Yeah, but I have yeah. to tell you that person was in the minority. I did not hear a lot of that reflection after the riot. Yeah, and you quote Max Boot, the conservative anti-Trump but conservative um, uh, writer, saying that if Fox News, OAN, and Newsmax, and all the rest had not been spreading poisonous lies about the election, this insurrection would never have happened. So he ties he ties the election coverage and the uh, the lying about the integrity of the vote directly to in a straight line to the insurrection and blames Fox. Yeah. The way, the way I look at it is um, yeah, it's hard to imagine how it could have happened without this propaganda machine, not just an, a month of it, not just a year of it, but I mean, 25 years of it. If Fox is going to turn 25 this year and it's hard to imagine a GOP, of course, that would have elected Donald Trump without Fox. It's really hard to imagine that you have the conditions in the country that lead you to the steps of the, the Capitol um, without Fox, because Fox created this sense of not not solely, but Fox contributed in a might might mightful way to the sense of um, nothing is real, anything could be possible. Real news is fake. Fake news is real. Trump is the hero. Trump is the winner. Trump can be whatever you want him to be. This kind of um, this attempt to create your own your own reality. And um, I look, look if Fox had never been born, I suppose we'd still have right wing radio and maybe something else like Fox would have come along. But and we'll we'll never know what that alternative history would have been. Uh, but we need in this country to have conservative news conservative programming that is reality-based. And what really went wrong in the last few years is this program is not reality-based. It is wish fulfillment. Um, it is fantasy for, for the right-wing audience. Uh, and ultimately, like I said, I think that hurts. I think that hurts the GOP. I think it hurts Trump. Um, but, it may, you know, they clearly disagree. They clearly don't think so. Yeah, you, you, to end this little segment, um, and before we get to the very last bit, and I really appreciate your taking all of this time because I know Thank how you. busy you are, you, you write that the damage done by this false narrative is incalculable. And, and I think that's what you're, that's what you're saying, that the, the, uh, a non-reality-based opinion network does incalculable damage to democracy. Well, right, because, for example, we don't know how many um, Fox loyalists who died of the coronavirus would have survived if they had been consuming a healthier news diet. There's a, that's an impossible thing to know. It's incalculable. It's also unfair to, you know, to point to a person uh, in, in an ICU and say, 
well, you wound up here because you watched too much Hannity. That's not fair. And that's not right. Um, and, and I don't do that in hopes. But clearly there was a cost. Clearly there was a cost associated with, um, with the partisanship and polarization that this pandemic occurred in. And you can see it in the vaccine polling now, right? The fact that Democrats are more likely to have been vaccinated than Republicans. The, 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 the number of Republicans say they'll never get vaccinated. That's a cost that we are all still living with because folks who aren't vaccinated put all of us at more risk. So there is a cost. And, and, and just because you can't say if it's $100 or $200 doesn't mean there wasn't a cost. It, it was clearly, a, clearly something there, even if you can't quite calculate it. And I think that's true on the, on the big lie front as well. Yeah. So uh, the last sort of two questions I want to ask you, and we're just speculating, I guess. Um, but the, the, the question I, want, I, I have been interested in since we talked in the first part of this interview about how I used to appear on Fox, how I knew yeah. Hannity and, and, and Carlson and, and O'Reilly and Britt Hume and all those guys from really the earliest stages. And on a personal level, I have, you know, different feelings about them than I do as opinionists. But do you, do you have a sense in talking to your sources about whether these opinionists really believe what they're saying or, or is it they've, they've found a market, they're making a fortune, they're entertainers and they're, and you know, Andrew, Andrew Dice Clay is not going to change his routine um, because we tell him that it's doing ill to many of the people that he's making uh, light of. Do, do these guys, do they get it um, or uh, do they believe it or do they just get it that it's a, that it's a shtick? What's your sense? You, you can't say for sure about everybody, but here's, here's my generalizing. I think a lot of rank and file staffers think it's a shtick. A lot of rank and file staffers uh, don't share the politics that are on the air. But many of the hosts, many of the commentators, many of the stars on Fox do believe what they're selling. Um, and I, I think it comes down to not, not, not necessarily every day, not necessarily on every word of what they say, but, um, you know, folks close to Tucker Carlson have been clear to me. He really has been radicalized. Radicalization is a real thing. It's happening. Um, he looks at this country and he fears what's happening and he believes he's on the right side and he believes he's holding back the tide of something he doesn't want to have happen for his kid. I think a lot of these folks, and it's hard for me to relate to this because I, I view myself as a, as a reporter who just wants to document what's happening, but a lot of these commentators view themselves in this life or death struggle, this existential battle. In the same way that we've seen GOP writers, we've seen Republican writers describe this, this look, it's what Michael Anton wrote, the Flight 93 election in 2016. This, we are going down, we are, we are losing, and we have to fight like hell to try to hold on. I, I think once you've convinced yourself of that in your head so fully, um, you'll say just about anything on TV. Hmm. Maybe so, I'm wrong. Maybe, look, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. But what I've seen in the last six months are the people who are not true believers, they leave. Um, the people who are not full Trump, they leave. Um, Dada Diabila was a Fox and Friends weekend host. She sat next to Pete Hegseth on the couch. 
And she provided a reality-based Republican viewpoint. She provided a rational Republican viewpoint, not pro-Trump at all costs. And she left. And she was replaced by someone who's much Trumpier. Uh, Juan Williams just left the five. He said he didn't want to move to New York, but um, he was one of the few Democrats who was on every day. Uh, every time these changes happen, it moves Fox even further to the right into a true believer point of view, where I think it is this um, this warlike stance. Hmm. So they 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 believe. I mean, it's interesting. I. I... I'm sad to hear that in, in, in a way that, that Carlson, who I think is a smart guy, um, has become a jihadist. And, and he would say that I'm, a, you know, he would probably say that I'm radicalized. He, he would probably say that I'm the real threat to the country, right? He would probably say that you're the real threat. Um, he might get and then, and then, of course, how the hell are we supposed to have conversations when we're taking that position or in that stance? Yeah, well, he may get consensus that I'm a real threat, but I'm not, I'm not sure about you. <laughs> Thank you. The, the, the last question um, is on, on the Murdochs. We know that there is a split in, in the family uh, with James, I guess, being the youngest black sheep. Um, is there, is there a change that's likely to happen? Is, is Lachlan the, going to carry it forward in his father's, Footsteps, or is there the possibility that the sister and the younger brother and yeah. will change the 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 organization? Right now, Lachlan's in charge, and in some ways, he's even more conservative than his dad. Uh, Lachlan has praised Tucker Carlson on the record and said that Tucker takes brave positions. Um, the only X factor, the only question out there in the future is, in the event of Rupert's death, there are four adult children with one vote each. Would the three other children vote Lachlan out? Is that even possible? Would it happen? Would James Murdoch team up with his sisters and vote Lachlan out? Well, James's friends talk about it. They think about it. They position themselves to do it maybe someday. But all of that hinges on dad dying. So that's, un that's unpleasant to talk about. But, you know, there's a great CNBC story out last week about James Murdoch and all of his donations to all these liberal causes, all these progressive groups, you know, he supported Biden, he supported Buttigieg in the primary, he supported Biden in the general, he's spending tens of millions of dollars on political causes. So James Murdoch is, is doing everything he can to actually stop the political agenda of his brother, of his, of his brother and his father. It sounds like something straight out of succession. Yeah. But as with, with all dramas versus reality these days, I think it's even crazier than the drama. So I take it, though, that Rupert Murdoch, if we ask him now or, you know, as he approaches um, the end of, of his life and you say to him, do you have any regrets about what you have wrought on, on America and, and, and its democracy? What, what's his answer, do you think, Brian? I think Rupert would say, I provided a choice. I provided a diversity of opinion. I opened the marketplace to new ideas. I'm, I, I, I don't want to, you know, all, all of you liberals, he would say, had a monopoly on the media and I broke it open and that's good for the country, he would say. I think he would say that uh, the cancel culture and big tech power are the real threats to the country. I think he would say that uh, um, his critics don't really understand him and don't really know him and don't really want to. 
this is fun. I'm, it's fun to try to channel him based on what I know and who I talk to. It's like a good, it's a good thought experiment. Um, unfortunately, I think a lot of what he would say is oppositional in nature. And that's what I just described to you, right? It's oppositional. It's, it's you all. It's, it's, it's the liberals had control. I, all I did was provided a choice. Um, but I guess, I guess what I would say to that is uh, the modern American media is not perfect. We have there's a lot of flaws, uh, the CNNs and the ABCs of the world, and we got to constantly learn from our flaws and get better. But if somebody invented uh, a more addictive substance, you know, a more addictive, um, I don't want to say cigarette, but like there, there are ways to create options in a marketplace that actually hurt the market and hurt the public. And um, maybe in a hundred years, that's what we're going to see it, see Fox as. But right now it seems to sum up what you've just eloquent, eloquently said is that it seems like there is a lack of introspection still. Uh, an evaluation of did we what, very did we much have, so did we did we have do we bear responsibility doesn't seem to be a question that they're asking and trying to honestly answer uh, very very little introspection and in fact uh, I think the programming choices speak to that if there was introspection if there was regret if there was a, a, an attempt to turn it around or I would argue be more reality based then they wouldn't be promoting the stars they're promoting then they wouldn't be handing out talk shows to their far right um, uh, stars. You know, they wouldn't be they wouldn't be elevating the voices they're elevating. In television, you know, all you have is time. You have this schedule of shows, and you have these segments to fill. So, Rupert's choices are very clear based on what's on his air. Even if he says he gives his folks autonomy and he doesn't agree with everything he's on the air, he is um, tilting the network and thus the country further and further to the right and, and that is the that is the story of hoax yeah so the the book is hoax donald trump fox news and the dangerous distortion of of truth there's a brand new paperback version of it out which is um 100 plus pages uh of additional material well worth the read if you've read the first book Buy the second book if you haven't bought the first book. Buy the second book. And um, thank you. I think, Brian, this is an important conversation that we've just had. And I very much appreciate your, your time. And thank you for being with us today. Good to be on with you. Thank you so much. That Said is produced by Compro and the Museum of Public Relations. Theme music by Sam Post. Please let us know your thoughts by writing to us at that said Zeldin at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. For that said, I'm Michael Zeldin.